the Blaze Radio Network. On demand. Love. Courage. Truth. Glenn Beck. Well, our FBI director, Andrew McCabe, was fired over the weekend, and that was the big storm. He was set to receive top-tier retirement benefits by officially retiring on Sunday, but the axe came down just hours before. Now, before I read McCabe's official response, I think it's beneficial to clarify the difference between a victim and someone who's guilty of something. If someone robs a gas station, we don't penalize the worker that just got robbed. We penalize the guy wearing the ski mask. Right? It's pretty simple, but both McCabe and the media can't seem to get this one right. So here's McCabe's official response. Here is the reality. I'm being singled out and treated this way because of the role I played, the actions I took and the events I witnessed it, witnessed in the aftermath of the firing of James Comey. The OIG's uh, focus on me and this report became part of an unprecedented effort by the administration driven by the president himself to remove me from my position, destroy my reputation, and possibly strip me of a pension that I worked 21 years to earn. My gosh, he's a victim. The Department of Justice Inspector General is clearly just a you know, Trumpian stooge helping the president wage war on the FBI. Trump is hiding all of his collusion. Get him! Because that's the only explanation here, right? Unless you take a step back and go, now, wait a minute, let me look at all of the facts. McCabe isn't the victim here. The inspector general found evidence that McCabe was leaking information to the press, and then he lied about it to the inspector general's office under oath. The OIG, the Office of Inspector General, then contacted the FBI's Office of Professional Responsibility, which is basically a fancy name for HR. Now, I want you to know that this particular HR department is not known for doing anything about anybody. They generally don't recommend anything harsh. They were informed about what McCabe had been doing. To reiterate, the charges are leaking information and lying under oath. So what did this HR department do? They recommended fire him. All right. So you have the OIG and the FBI now saying fire him. Losing his job should be the least of McCabe's worries. He may be looking at perjury charges. And if he lied under oath, he should be charged with perjury and perhaps obstruction of justice. So seriously, who's the victim here? I contend it's you. I contend it's the people of the United States. Now, Trump's Department of Justice clearly did this to fire some shots at the FBI, right? I mean, it's collusion. Well, no, actually, Trump had nothing to do with the investigation by the inspector general. That's the deal with the office, OIG, Office of Inspector General. They're completely neutral. They're taken out of the system. They're, they just overwatch. It was actually requested 
during the Obama administration by two Democrats. Back then, the scandal wasn't Russia, but who was leaking information on Hillary Clinton? Michael Horowitz was the DOJ inspector general and an Obama appointee. Democrats figured this is their ace in the hole to find out who was hurting Hillary. Well, now we know who was doing it. But Democrats and the media somehow or another have forgotten how this whole thing started and that they were absolutely thrilled when this investigation began. The Democrats hated the FBI back when all of this began, and they were looking for someone to blame. But now they love the FBI and somehow are trying to find someone to blame the president for an investigation that they called for under the Obama administration and that is being conducted by an Obama appointee. So, again, I just have to ask, who is the victim here? The person on the receiving end of the crime? Or the deputy director wearing the ski mask that is now going to take 21 years of pension from you. It's Monday, March 19th. You're listening to the Glenn Beck Program. You know, do do you feel like you get any news, real news from anybody anymore? Do you feel like you... You even understand when you're online, do you feel like you really understand and can trust the stories anymore? I've got to go like to 14 different sources before I trust that I have it down. Yeah, I'm honestly just bored with it at this point. You know, it's weird. It's, it's not boring in a 1700s, um, you know, <laughs> Jane Austen movie way. <laughs> really? It's, it's boring in the uh, Fast and Furious kind of way. Like, we all know that you go to a Fast and Furious movie and there's going to be a lot of car chases and explosions. And it's not to say that any of those individual things aren't exciting. Mm -hmm. But when you step back, are you excited about a new Fast and Furious movie? It's the same crap. You know everything. You know there's going to be a car that takes off from one bridge, blows up in midair, flips over. The person inside is going to jump out of the car and land somehow in another car on the other bridge and live. You know what? I think I understand what you're saying. Because if you miss one Fast and Furious, you can pick it up at the next one. (laughs) You really didn't miss anything. anything. Right. It's like you kind of roll your eyes while you're there. and And it's like the media reaction to all of this is always constant massive mega explosions with vin diesel level and you know you get that every single day for multiple years and it just becomes dull you know i know it's an explosion but it's just dull at this point i'm every one of these every day i feel like we just waste our time you know what did tokyo drift uh, really change <laughs> anyone's life? And I think the answer to that is no, no. 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 So here's some good news for you. The Women's March is losing membership. Now that listen is to really good news. Um, members of its own administration, after refusing to distance itself from the noted anti-Semitic Louis Farrakhan, according to the New York Post, The group's social media director, Alyssa Klein, jumped ship last week and condemned the Women's March leadership on her way out, calling Farrakhan a dangerous troll. I think he's more than a dangerous troll. Maybe that's just me, (laughs) but I'll take it. I'll take it. Mm -hmm. 
She suggested the Women's March take those in, uh, take those in leadership positions to task for supporting him. She wrote in, on Twitter, I respect loyalty, but I do not respect unquestioning loyalty, especially if it means attacking those who are asking legitimate questions, and especially if it means turning a blind eye to the hate spoken about a group of people. Question leaders. Leaders, be open to questions. Wow, that's fantastic. Alyssa Klein is her name. In recent weeks, see if you knew this. In recent weeks, the movement, the Women's March, Mm -hmm. the movement lost support of Planned Parenthood. I didn't hear that. Did you hear (laughs) that everywhere? I did not. I did not hear that. Perhaps the movement's foremost ally in support of women's rights and smaller smaller state-based branches of the Women's March have broken off from the main entity, citing Tamika Mallory and Linda Sarsour's love for Farrakhan. Now, how is it that the biggest, most powerful... I mean, imagine the Tea Party. The Tea Party broke away from... You know, I don't know. Uh, think of in the height. Sarah Palin in Glenn Beck. W- would that have been news? It may have been mentioned, yeah. It may have been, <laughs> it may mentioned. Have been mentioned. Yeah, It may have been mentioned. So there's some good news there. I will tell you that Dershowitz was on uh, television over the weekend. In fact, let's play the segment where he was talking about uh, the Democrats that are embracing Louis Farrakhan. I think Keith Ellison has to be fired immediately as deputy chairman of the DNC. Not only has he become close to Farrakhan, but he's lied to the American public about ending his relationship with Farrakhan. We know that he continued to meet with Farrakhan even after he said he no longer met with him. This is the leadership of the Democratic Party. Farrakhan is a bigot. He is far worse than David Duke. Why? Because Farrakhan has a large following. David Duke is a joke. He doesn't have a large following. He has no influence on university campuses. He has no influence with any major segment of the American public. But we see that Farrakhan has continuing influence Mm. within the African-American community at Mm -hmm. the very highest levels. Mm -hmm. That's why he's so much more dangerous. And he ought to be treated the way we treat David Duke. If any Mm -hmm. Republican dared to meet with David Duke, that would be the end of their career. It should be the end of the career of any Democrat who has any association with this bigot Farrakhan. So I think this is really, I think this is really important. Um, and I think we need to, I think we all need to decide who we are and where our lines are. You want to always decide, you know, what I'm willing to do before you're asked to do it. You know, you think of the worst case scenarios and like, would I do that? No. So when you get there, you already know the answer. And I thought for a very long time that there were things that we could all agree on. And I still believe this. Stopping sexual harassment and abuse of women, of men, it doesn't matter. Stopping sexual and, quite honestly, mental abuse. Physical abuse. Any kind of abuse. I can't imagine anyone making a case for that. Standing by and going, you know what? It's not so bad. It is. And we all know that. And that's why the Me Too movement 
beside the political aspect of it, has made a real difference. Because we're not those people. We're not, you know, in the 1950s and, you know, uh, madmen. We're, we're just not those people. We agree on that. We agree on stopping bigotry against those who are different or choose to live differently. We're not bigots. We don't want to round anybody up. We'll judge people as individuals. Now, this one has gotten slippery. Because we're, we're just replacing one individual with another individual. And that's not the goal. That's not progress. Taking the homosexuals and saying, okay, homosexuals, transgendered, uh, you're now okay, but Christians are bad. No, 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 no. Okay, we've fixed the race problem. Blacks are cool. Whites are bad. No. Every, every real American that I know, they know that this is, they know that Martin Luther King was right. Judge people on the content of their character, not the color of their skin, not their sexual identity or any of that nonsense. What's the content of their character? And as Martin Luther King said, America, it's time you live up to the words that you worship. All men are created equal. That's all we have to do is live up to it. And there was another category that I really thought that we all agreed on. And that is, you know, I don't think we call Jews vermin. What do you say? It didn't work out well. Hasn't worked out well in the past. Apparently, for the old right and for the extreme left, it's a, that's, a, that's, a, that's a hard one to get their arms around. You have a hard time not saying Jews are vermin. You know, but the rest of America, Democrats and Republicans, I mean, the ones who are actually out in the middle of the country working, they don't have a problem with that. They're not they're not talking about how the Jews control everything. There is no difference between neo-Nazis and Farrakhan. When it comes to the Jews, they agree. And we condemn them because they believe that the black man or the white man is the cause of not all of the problems, because really all of the problems are caused by them dirty Jews. Democrats, this is your challenge, just as the Republicans have theirs. The alt-right hates the Jews. That is the canary in the coal mine. Democrats, the leaders of the Women's March, are embracing Farrakhan. By, by just saying, well, I, mean, I don't... They obviously hate the Jews. Again, when you see anti-Semitism, you have to get away from it. Or when that canary stops singing, you're next. And we will all be dragged down and die in the darkness of the coal mine. I think we can all agree on 
Jews aren't vermin. What do you say? Let's make that. Eh, the bar is getting lower and lower every day. What do you say? That's our Monday slogan. Eh, Jews are not vermin. They're not the root of all evil. They're not the problem. It's a high bar to clear for the women's march. I don't <laughs> yeah, think they can pull that one off. And it's a hard line to. It's a hard one to to. Uh, to clear if you're a neo-Nazi, too. Yeah, it does so seem it, to be that way. Yeah, so it kind of mm-hmm. cuts both ways. Maybe everybody should recognize you either clearly deny that and get away from those people, or you might be part of the problem. You've heard me talk about Blinds.com. They are the best at what they do. Blinds.com uh, is, is your place for blind shades, shutters, drapes, anything that you need. In fact, it is the easiest way for you to increase the value of your house by just changing out the curtains, changing out the blinds or the shutters. This is the home improvement that is way less expensive than anything else. If you're getting ready to sell your home, Blinds.com. Find out yourself why over 20 million Americans have trusted Blinds.com to upgrade their home, making them the number one on-time, uh, uh, online retailer of custom window coverings. Now through the 22nd, when you buy one, you get uh, 50% off uh, of the other one. So you buy one blind, one you know window of uh, curtains or shutters or drapes, you get 50% off the next window. At blinds.com slash Beck. Buy one, get 50% off at blinds.com. That's blinds.com. Rules and restrictions do apply. Blinds.com slash Beck. Glenn Beck Mercury. Glenn Beck. So uh, on Friday, we had the director and Dennis Quaid and... uh, a lot of the people involved in the movie, I can only imagine. It was expected to open at about $2 million. You know, they were only about $15 million, uh short. <laughs> uh, it opened in half over, uh, I'm sorry, over half of the theaters. I believe what you mean is uh, less than half. I'm oh, sorry, yeah. Oh. Less than half of the theaters uh, uh, for Black Panther and Tomb Raider. It came in number uh, three. At $17 million, Tomb Raider was $23 million, and Black Panther was $27, million shy. If they would have had all of the theaters, it may have, at least would have been number two. Yeah, pretty incredible. I mean, that, <laughs> that's amazing. And on a $7 million budget, a $17 million first weekend, that's a nice, that's yeah. a nice turn. Where Tomb Raider was $94 million, and it... Uh, made 23 yeah that doesn't that's not a good start yeah not a good start not a good start that's that's incredible wrinkle in time uh only made 16 million dollars uh love simon 11 million game night game night was solid was it yeah it was very funny i mean it's an r-rated comedy with uh jason bateman but very very funny I like jason bateman yeah he's he always, really he's funny. always solid peter rabbit do you see that my kids saw it yeah um uh, they like everything, so they liked it. Strangers, Pray at Night, Red Sparrow. Red uh, Sparrow was pretty solid. It was a little confusing and a little long, but uh, pretty number good. Nine. I think that was killed by her. I mean, it was... Jennifer Lawrence? Yeah. yeah. I think all of her, you know... Oddly, if you've seen it, it was also saved by her. <laughs> <laughs> okay. yes. uh, Death Wish. Death Wish has got to be, I saw this too, the, probably the pro, most pro-NRA movie ever made. <laughs> it's just, there are times where they're just like two-minute rants about how important it is for you to have a gun to protect yourself because the cops won't show up fast enough. 
Like it's it's like it's like you're listening to a talk show in movie form. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> uh, seven days in Entebbe uh, came in at number thirteen. I saw that last night. That's really good, really good. Uh, especially if you you know if you're into history, it's a pretty amazing story. Seven days in Entebbe. By the way, we have Jim Caviezel coming up in studio today. Glenn Beck. Mercury. You're listening to the Glenn Beck program. Stu, I uh, I know you're no, you're very much into the stats of global warming, and mm. uh, there is a new theory now on what caused the snow in Washington D.C. Uh, this is D.C. City Council member uh, Trayon White on the snow in Washington D.C. Man, it just started snowing out of nowhere this morning, man. Y'all better pay attention to this climate control, man. This climate manipulation. And D.C. keep talking about we're a resilient city. And that's a model based off the Rothschilds controlling the climate to create natural disasters. They can pay for it and own the cities, man. Be careful. Okay. So that would be the Jews (laughs) controlling the climate. Huh. That's a D.C. city council member. Weren't you just trying to set the high bar? Yeah. The <laughs> yes, Jews I was. Vermin? Yes. Well, he uh, didn't say they were vermin. No. He just said that the Rothschilds were controlling the weather. <laughs> and he's employed by anyone? What is it? A city councilman? He's a city councilman. Unreal. For the District of Columbia. Well, he took the, he took the lid off of that one. Now, um, <laughs> here's a state representative... Uh, that uh, is working, let's see, West Bridgewater. This is uh, up, I believe, in Massachusetts. Uh, her name is Michelle Dubois. And here's what she had to say about uh, a sign that is uh, marking a very famous uh, general and a statue. Go ahead. Female staffers don't use that entrance because the sign is offensive to them. It's just a little semantics, a little wordplay that some people find very charming and funny, but I find can be hurtful. Okay. Hmm? That's the, but that's not what the sign is. No, you don't know what the sign is. The sign says, uh, general hooker entrance. And uh, the, the it's, you know, the f- apparently famous General Hooker. And uh, so she is saying that uh, they, she wants the sign taken down because she's offended by the man's name. Oh, my gosh. General Hooker. They're not calling her a hooker. She is aware of this? No, I don't think she's saying because she, she's ne- she would never use that doorway. Uh, but she, she's just saying, you know, you know, all the general hookers in the area. That use that entrance. Generally, if you're a hooker, you should enter here. Is yeah, what if the you're, sign... or if you're a general hooker. If you're not a specific hooker, right? Okay, like you'll make it with anybody. Mm-hmm. You know, general hookers through here. Specific hookers have another entrance off to the side, right? Like you have a particular fetish that you specialize <laughs> in. If you are, right. if you have a, you, a dominatrix yes. uh, situation, right. maybe you then go through a different way. But yeah. if you're just a general, you're just generally Gen- speaking a hooker. <laughs> you walk through that yeah. door. Okay, yeah, you'll service anybody. That's your doorway. That's your entrance. And you can stand there and see that statue coincidentally named General Hooker. <laughs> what are the odds? <laughs> so he was also a prostitute? No, he wasn't. No, okay. no, he wasn't. Mm-hmm. No, uh-uh. 
So that this is an actual name. issue. They actually this really... is an actual issue. She is trying to get this the, the sign. Listen to her again. It's hurtful. Female staffers don't use that entrance because the sign is offensive to them. It's just a little oh semantics, a little wordplay that no. some people find very charming and no, funny. It, okay, it's but not... I find can be hurtful. Okay, a no. it's not hurtful unless somebody takes that sign and hits you over the head. Okay, then it is hurtful. <laughs> That's how signs hurt you. It may make you uncomfortable because you're doing the word play. Right, because the sign is not word play. No. It is not something that people find to be kind of funny. General it's the Hooker guy's name. entrance. Mm -hmm. You're going to see General Hooker. That's the entrance. You are playing a little word player going, <laughs> what are you, eight? General Hooker. General General Hooker's coming through here. Oh, you are a hooker. I mean, so it is. It, it's really seventh grade. We, we really do have the the world we deserve. Uh, if that is who if, we are, seriously, it, it, women, is this is this your movement? Are you so? I will say it's better than the "We Hate the Jews" women's march movement. Well, the "I'm yes. offended okay. by the hooker sign" right. movement is okay. better than the "We <laughs> Hate the Jews" women's march movement. Okay, again, again, the, <laughs> the low bar. bar is very low here. <laughs> but can we raise it up just a little bit? Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, it, this is the, you know what this is. This is making women. Why? Oh my. I might be getting a case of the vapors. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Don't say that in front of us ladies. I mean, that's what this is. My General Hooker. Why, I, my stars, I've never. Ooh, I'm just going to. Oh, I've got to sit down. How? What? We need fainting couches for all of these, quote, feminists. Just in case they. Well, I just. Oh, I think I'm a little lightheaded. It is amazing the sort of weird double standards we have with this stuff because like again like we all it's the same people who get offended by the word hooker on a sign that is a guy's name are the same people who will tell you that wearing a hat with a female body part on it is, is completely fine right and shan't ever be criticized right. they're the ones they're the ones who when you say hey can you not use that language Hey, free speech. <laughs> okay. All right. Okay. I just, I just have oh. my nursing daughter and all of my kids who are under eight and you're using the F word in ways I've not even heard. Right. Free speech. You don't like it. Go to another country, pal. <laughs> oh, okay. Thank you, ma'am. It's like we have uh uh, Clay Travis goes on CNN and says the word boobs, and it's like a month long, you know, controversy. Right. Uh, you know, now <laughs> I bring that up because I heard a commercial on CNN, the same network, which you're apparently not to say, you're not allowed to say boobs, and they are doing mm -hmm. a multi-part special about sex around the world. And again, there. Oh, I yeah, just I can't take that. But but okay. No so, no no, I can't take that. I couldn't take the Kennedys special <laughs> hosted by Martin Sheen. I'm sure that's going to be fair. And the 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 duck the 18 year documentary, The Catholics, right. narrated by Liam Neeson. Oh, oh, that's gonna oh, be. Oh, it's gonna be very fair. Oh, very fair, very and, fair. and very pro Catholic. I'm sure. It's interesting you bring up the host because that's the part that really weirds me out on this one because okay <laughs> i know 
I get you want to do a special on sex. I guess you could do it if you're CNN. I don't know why you would need to do that, especially if your standard is you're not allowed to say the word boobs on TV. Ratings. Right, exactly. But if they wanted ratings, the sex special would not be hosted by <laughs> Christian Amanpour, well, who is the literally the worst person on earth to host a sex special. I don't know. I can't quantify why that is, but it is. No, I think in in some circles she is a contraception, a contraceptive. <laughs> I mean, she is. That's possible. Uh, honey, uh, <laughs> I just no, I'm not it. Turn on CNN. Christiane Anamapour is on. That's better than a shower. You're just saying her name. Okay, right. <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> it's a little, it's a little disturbing. And the double standard is a little. Yeah, frustrating. I can't. I just can't it's take some... the double standard. That's 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 the, that, that's really the the problem. The people who say that um, we have to not only be tolerant, but we have to celebrate everything everyone believes, unless it's actually history, unless it's unless it's a an actual name of someone. Why then I. Oh, I better sit down. Ah, the vapors here are just... Ooh, look at all the ladies that are just passing out. Those are women of ill repute. Chaos at the grocery stores. Love this. This one, you know... When the Jews control the weather, weather like uh, what's his name from the D.C. City Council said, it's the Rothschilds controlling the weather. <laughs> I know. I No, it's not. Mm-mm, no, it's a winter storm. Yeah. Anyway, of course, then again, I think God is Jewish or he was. I don't know if he's gotten baptized. Uh, this is confusing. Anyway, um, <laughs> so. The uh, storms that are you, the first thing you see is everybody going to the grocery store and they're panicking. Why? Because they they've they know they have duck sauce and soy sauce in their refrigerator. And so if I, I've got a panic, I don't know if I can make it three days without food right now. My Patriot Supply can help you out. If you have nothing in the line of food storage, your 72 hour emergency food kit that is breakfast, lunch and dinner for one person for three days is now seventeen dollars and seventy six cents. Seventeen seventy six. Oh my! What are the odds? That's also an important year where something happened. I think Columbus or something came to town. Anyway, seventeen seventy six for your seventy two hour emergency food kit. Uh, get one for every member of your family. For the for the most part, I mean, unless things really go crazy. You're done. 72 hours is what the Department of Homeland Security says every American should have. So get one for your family. Now it's $17.76, $17.76. Preparewithglenn.com. That's preparewithglenn.com or call 800-200-7163. 800-200-7163. Preparewithglenn.com. Glenn Beck Mercury. Glenn Beck. So, I want to play something from Jonathan Turley. Jonathan Turley is a 
is a constitutional scholar, liberal or left-leaning uh, uh, law professor at George Washington University. He has been a steady voice since, I think, even in the 90s uh, is when I first started seeing Jonathan Turley. And generally, he is spot on on things, and it doesn't matter which side it is, generally speaking. Here's what he had to say over the weekend about uh, the dismissal of McCabe by the FBI. Listen. Was it justified, this firing? Well, it was justified in the sense that it was, these were career officials at the Office of Professional Responsibility that made this recommendation, which is exceedingly rare. In fact, it's unprecedented for someone in this position. Uh, these are not political appointees. The OPR, quite frankly, is not viewed as a particularly aggressive office. So all of that makes this a relatively rare sanction coming from career officers. Um, they clearly concluded that McCabe misled them, uh, and they mis that he misled them on one of the core issues they were investigating, not a collateral issue. What is going to create a, an issue going forward is whether there will be a criminal referral. You know, Michael Flynn was indicted for making a false statement to investigators. Uh, now, it's true that they were looking at him for other crimes as well. But there will be some that will argue, why would you indict Michael Flynn, but an FBI, uh, a deputy FBI director uh, is, is just worried about his pension, not prison? Shouldn't, <laughs> shouldn't we all be questioning that? I mean, see, this is, this is the problem. Justice is blind. That's the way it's supposed to be. Justice is blind. But I don't think justice is blind. I mean, and we've known that we've known that because justice wasn't blind for African-Americans. Justice isn't, you know, wasn't blind for O.J. Simpson in the opposite way. Uh, justice isn't blind for the for the, the political people in our country. That's a problem. If you went over after Flynn for lying. Y you have to go after this guy. Even if you don't go after this guy, if I lie to the FBI, are you going to, uh, under oath, you think they're going to go after me? Of course they will. You do it. Will they go after you? Of course they will. And they should. This is kind of the d discussion we had with President Clinton. Can you lie under oath? Does it matter? The answer is no. No. Seems reasonable. Uh, you started the hour with uh, part of his uh, actual statement, McCabe's statement, which yeah. was this kind of fiery response saying, basically, the president is coming after me. He's attacking me. But in the statement, if you read the whole thing, he basically admits he did it. I think. Listen to these two parts. During these inquiries, I answered questions truthfully and as accurately as I could amidst the chaos that surrounded me. And when I thought my answers were misunderstood, I contacted inv investigators to correct them. Later on, he goes on to say, uh, let's see. Uh, when I thought my... Here we go. When I thought my answers were misunderstood. Right, like, okay, so... No, that's... No. No, that's not what he... But he, again, he's, he's admitting the basis of this, right? Like, that something he said wasn't true. Correct. I thought they were misunderstood. Later on, he says, uh, you know, I've, I've always had distinction and integrity. Just ask people around me. To have my career end this way and to be accused of lacking candor when at worst... I was distracted in the midst of chaotic events. 
is incredibly disappointing and unfair. So, I'd like to see what those what those distractions were, or what caused what those distractions caused him to say. Exactly. So we're, you know. we're going to find that out. We don't have the report yet, right? Mm-hmm. We're just we only have the reporting on the report, which is never the best way to do mm-hmm. these things. Uh, but beyond that, it's it, it's if this is true, right? Like, let's say there are chaotic events, and and you make a misstatement, you still get in trouble for that. When yes. you're not telling the truth, yes, uh, particularly if they uh, again, like you only get in trouble if you did something intentionally mm-hmm. uh, wrong. Mm-hmm. The other part of this is it's a good argument as to why you shouldn't, if you're Donald Trump, go in front of Mueller and actually meet with him, because you even if even if there is something that you just misstate or you get the facts wrong, well, they'll on, hold him to they it. They will hold him to it absolutely. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I, I, I because I'm an American citizen and want the truth would be fine with him going to Mueller. If I'm a if I'm in the president's administration, I'm telling him don't because Well, I'm fine with him going in front of uh Mueller if if he can control himself and there's nothing, you know, that he did wrong. I mean, if he did something wrong, I also want him in front of Mueller, but um it, the problem with Trump is he just kind of elaborates and not necessarily all of that is is true and they will hold him to every single word they won't hold this guy even though this was independent the the opr this is unprecedented for them to recommend a termination unprecedented back mercury love courage truth glenn back okay hear me out on this just for a second what do you think constitutional amendment that has an inclusion writer so you know if we're gonna get together we're gonna do anything we just got to check the writer formerly known as the constitution and uh who do we need to include there is a really ugly hypocritical side to the prolonged cultural moment that America is having regarded regarding issues of gender and race. And that is a growing hostility to a specific group of people, even as it includes every other group, uh, you know, and preaches to them that you have to include every other group. It's becoming so absurd that even a nerdy conference for history professors at Stanford is being, you know, billed as too white and too male. Last week, a female history professor at Harvard University tweeted some uh, screenshots of several of the speakers at this history conference and wrote, quote, all male history conference. This goes for the Guinness Book of the Century. I bet not. I, I bet there's probably more white people that have attended another conference. I'm not sure. A team of 30 white male historians will discuss applied history at Stanford. What a shame. Now, I don't think she means that it's a shame that they're getting together to discuss history or how to apply it. I think she thinks it's a shame because this group of 30 are all white men. She repeated this sentiment over several days, calling the gathering shameful as if it was a clan history conference. Other female professor critics agreed until finally the brow beating affected the conference director, Niall Ferguson, who is a great historian. He apologized, saying, we did discuss diversity ahead of time and have invited several women, but they were all unable to attend. But even that being said, we, quote, must redouble our efforts to represent diverse viewpoints in 
future conferences, end quote. Yeah, you want a diverse uh, look at history? Invite me. <laughs> yeah, because see, even though I am a white man, I bet I disagree with a lot of the other white men that are in that conference. Uh, like we don't have diverse viewpoints. Is it all about the color of our skin and what we have in our pants? Because I think I remember something like Martin Luther King saying something different that we were all supposed to remember and celebrate. And I do. Does anybody else anymore? The current cultural climate. Ferguson had to say something for self-preservation purposes. Are we really all this bored and this self-absorbed that we now have to find white privilege villainy in every nook and cranny of culture? Why? Why? Why are the, the dark sides of Oreos on the outside? And there's a white filling that, what, holds it together? Well, you're telling me that two dark cookies couldn't hold themselves together? Well, no, in this case, we're talking a cookie. No. Progressives have done a masterful job of turning diversity into their highest virtue. And now that they've achieved that, they're just showing you that, you know, you will be diverse. Or we'll eliminate those voices that aren't diverse enough. Oh, okay. All right. Americans all believe different things. And we've been told we should celebrate all those different things that we believe. Now we're being told only celebrate those things that the group leaders tell you we can celebrate. The most important thing, and I remember, boy, I remember hearing people saying this when I was a kid. Instead of focusing on all of the things that divide us, why not focus on a few of the things that unite us? I've, I think that there is still a, a large section, maybe 80% of this country, left and right, that really are kind of spooked by this diversity policing. They're really kind of spooked by... We want diverse voices, except for those. Get them off campus. And if they won't leave, well, throw a Molotov cocktail through a J. Crew window. I think we're all kind of freaked out by that. Diversity policing by citizen cops on social media is a danger to a free society. Of all the people you would, you would think that would get this, you would think that a it would be a group of really smart history professors. No, it's not. It's not. Wow. It's Monday, March 19th. You're listening to the Glenn Beck Program. Wanted to get one of my favorite uh, self-made historians, Brad Belter, on the uh, phone. Talk about this and his new book, The Escape Artist, which, Brad, I have to tell you, I finished reading... You know, after after your interview, I, I, I hate having people on and, and not reading their book. Um, but I, I it took me, I think, two days to read it. And I was up till three o'clock in the morning. Thank you. Uh, and it was fantastic. The reason why I was up till three is I could not I could not stop reading it. It's a great book. I appreciate it. I mean, you know, we, you and I were emailing afterwards. And, um, you know, I said to you that the most intimate thing in life is being understood. 
and understanding someone else. And you have always just completely gotten what I'm doing. And especially with this book, the emotion that went behind and the history that went behind this, um, it really did change me. You read it immediately. You wrote to me and said, this book, I feel like it's changed you. And, and you can't go to Dover Air Force Base and see, you know, some of the most amazing heroes in our society and leave unchanged. So um, the message that I, I wrote to you where I said this, I think, is almost a reinvention or a re-pointing uh, uh, on the compass of of not only your course, but also the the action adventure kind of of books. You know, the the Jason Bourne kind of book has been done over and over and over again. This is deeper and different do you do you understand that and how would you explain that yeah no i do i very much understand it because i've been writing for you know this is my 20th year writing thrillers and and you and i met you know right at the beginning of that career and usually you write a thriller and you know the good guy has to beat the bad guy and that's basically what the fight is about and in this book um if i'm really being honest it was this book was a transaction like any other you know i've done the secret tunnels below the white house I've done the hidden labyrinth below the Capitol. I thought when I got after my USO tour in the Middle East, I thought that when I went to Dover Air Force Base, it was just going to be like that. I'd walk in. They would tell me some cool stuff. I would write a thriller where the good guys beat the bad guys. And when I got there, I was humble, Glenn. I was humbled by what I saw by watching these people who take care of our fallen soldiers at Dover Air Force Base. And we all know, you know, Dover's that place where where we're used to those flag-covered coffins coming off the planes. What I didn't realize was that Dover has the biggest cases. Uh, It's where, whether it's on 9-11, the Pentagon flight victims went, the space Mm -hmm. shuttle victims when the space shuttle goes down. But again, what you and I just quickly talked about was those people that take care of those who no one knows about, the spies, our 007s across the country. We've seen in the CIA headquarters, there's stars right behind on the, on the wall. And they say these stars represent fallen soldiers, fallen CIA members who no one can know their name. And the people at Dover know their name because they're rebuilding them when their bodies come back. And to watch them rebuild someone's hand because a mother says, I want to hold my son's hand one last time or to rebuild someone's jaw for 14 hours because they say, you know what? I want this family to be able to recognize and see their son or daughter off one last time. And it, that's humbling. It, it's, it, you write in the book that, that that's not part of their job. That's things that they decide to do, that each of the examiners or the forensics guys, they, they take their time to do it. Yeah, the one that I just said to you, 14 hours rewiring someone's jaw, the per- I didn't make that up. That really happened. And the person who did it didn't take overtime for it. They can, 14 hours, but they didn't take overtime because they saw it as a mission. And when I saw that, I knew I wasn't writing a thriller about good guys and bad guys anymore, but I was writing about some of the most important ways we deal with life and look out for each other. And the battles that my character Zig is facing um, with the loss of a child, with the loss of, um, you know, trying to reclaim what, what that hole in his chest will never be able to be filled with was just bigger than anything I've written about. And it, it, I'll tell you this. I couldn't tell you this before because I didn't know it. I was on book tour last week, and I stopped uh, in Miami in my hometown now. And a woman said to me, you know, Brad, I've read all your books. And she said, and they're usually about some kind of, you know, hard luck kid who basically is trying to get to that next level, the Supreme Court, the White House, whatever the next level is. 
And then they just eventually kind of can't get there. Or when they do get there, they realize it's just not as amazing as they thought it was going to be. And she said, is that right? And my mother-in-law was in the front row. And my mother-in-law laughed and said, huh? But she knew that's my life. And I said to the woman, I said, that's my life. You know, I came from, you know, very modest beginnings. I was the first in my family to go to college. That was my life. I said, you're absolutely right, ma'am. I said, but this book is not that. And what I realized in the last week, without even thinking about it, is what I was writing from is a new perspective. It was the perspective of being a father. Mm. I never did that before. Mm. And now I had Zig being this father who's, you know, again, trying to put to rest all these fallen sons and daughters. And the result was I wrote from my mature place, from what happened over 20 years. I've grown somehow, some way. And I wish I was smart enough to, to know I was doing that. But I think what you're feeling is that same love you have for your kids that same love I have for my kids, that it's more powerful than any kind of, yeah. you know, trying to, to achieve something that we'll ever do. Talking to Brad Meltzer, he is a fantastic writer and uh, author of uh, the New York Times bestseller, The Escape Artist, which is out now. And it's just, it's, it's fantastic. One of the better books that I've read in a long time. Um, Brad, I want to change the subject uh, just a, a, a little bit and, uh, and talk to you about, have you seen, have you seen what's happening with, uh, Facebook and the algorithms and uh, and and how they are uh, taking information and using it. I'm trying to find one story here. Uh, oh, I've seen it. Of course, this is okay. incredible. Is it, I was obsessed with this story all weekend. I said I want to do. I want to go. You know, if you look at my Twitter feed, right the day after the election, it was like a day or two after the election. I said the greatest story that is not being told right now. It's so obvious now, but um, I said it then was how the Russians played with our election and played mm-hmm. with us. And again, whatever you want to see. And, and people were like, oh, you're taking, I'm like, I'm not taking sides. It's just mathematical facts. And, and over the weekend, a story came out that um, very high level, not only Russian, but also Republican. And, and again, Democrats were, you know, they gave it to Democrats too. Democrats just didn't bite it. I mean, they didn't see the, the opportunity, but were able to take our Facebook data and by answering, you know, those little quizzes that they say, are you a happy person? Or are you a pessimistic person? Describe yourself. They put these kind of quizzes out on Facebook. And in figuring out these quizzes and what people clicked on, they could figure out our personalities and therefore figure out what we're susceptible to, what kind of ads we're susceptible to, what kind of things could convince us. And it becomes this, you know, and you know that I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I think we, we confuse the word conspiracy with kooky and crazy. This is something that really happened in America. Um, when you have big data out there and information on Facebook out there and we're constantly liking things and clicking things, eventually it gives you a profile of who we are. And if you can take all those millions of profiles of people, you can figure out how to influence them. And the thing that I think upsets all of us is we don't like, you know, it's like subliminal advertising. We don't like being influenced without us knowing we're being influenced. And that's what they did here. So uh, I want to come back, um, take a quick break, and I want to talk to you about a new algorithm that I am, <laughs> I am really concerned about. It uh, came out in uh, Bloomberg this weekend, uh, and it is something that I have read about um, in you know all the futurist books. But apparently, it's here now, and I, you know I just think it's wildly dangerous. And I would love to pick your mind because I think the the truth is stranger than fiction and so there's nobody better to go to than a fiction writer and say how 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 does this one go wrong brad Meltzer in a second 
if you've ever taken your car in for an oil change and the mechanic finds something wrong and you're like, what? And you find yourself with a repair bill that you didn't expect. It's happened to all of us. You know, there is nothing worse than seeing that check engine light go on. When you see that check engine light, you're, is it just me? You're just like, oh, crap. I mean, back in the day, we used to be able to disconnect the check engine light. And so then we didn't worry. <laughs> we didn't worry about it. When you have an extended vehicle protection uh, warranty, if you will, from CarShield like I do, you don't have to worry about that. The little check engine light goes on. You can bring it in and you don't have any worries. If your car breaks down after the warranty expires, you're going to be out of pocket thousands of dollars possibly to get that fixed. Replacing your engine alone is thousands. A simple repair cost for a sensor can cost $1,000. My son-in-law just had this and he didn't have car shield. Boy, did he feel stupid. He didn't have car shield and it cost him $5,000. That's more than the car was worth. Car Shield makes the process of fixing your car for a covered repair super easy. You can have your favorite mechanic or your dealership do the work. It's your choice. They get them paid. You don't have to wait for the check. They also provide you 24-7 roadside assistance and a rental car while yours is being fixed for free. So if your car has 5,000 to 150,000 miles, it doesn't mean you have to pay a high repair bill. Car Shield administrators have paid out close to $2 billion in claims, and they're ready to help you. Go now to Car Shield. Call them at 800-CAR-6100, 800-CAR-6100. Mention the promo code or visit carshield.com and use the promo code BECK and you'll save 10%. The promo code is BECK. That's carshield.com. Deductible may apply. Glenn Beck Mercury. Glenn Beck. So here's the story got out of Bloomberg, talking to Brad Meltzer, the author of The Escape Artist. If humans are going to entrust big decisions on computers, how can they ensure that these computers act in humanity's best interest? Amazingly, given the increasing power and persuasiveness of algorithms, it's a question that researchers are just beginning to answer. How can we make sure that they act fairly? To start with, we need to define fair. At a recent conference, New York University, uh, they were asked, should a risk profiler, for example, treat all racial groups equally regardless of their other differences? Should it acknowledge differences but focus on achieving similar error rates? Should it correct for previous wrongs? Do some definitions seem good in the short term but have negative long-term repercussions? What are we headed for, Brad? Um, I think, you know, what we're headed for, I read this amazing article, uh, and these are the things, you know, why I love talking about is, you know, these are the things that years ago I got invited by the Department of Homeland Security to come in and brainstorm different ways that terrorists could attack the United States. And the reason that I think they brought people like myself in who are fiction writers is they wanted to figure out what's the craziest thing you could do. And what I was fascinated with is I, I started studying why, you know, when did they start bringing people in like this? How did this happen? And one of the things that they told me and that I found out is there was a conference a few years back of futurists, people who kind of try to fathom what the future is going to bring or really good at figuring out what the future will bring. And the number one thing that they said, what's the greatest threat to the United States right now? And it used to be things like nuclear war, mm-hmm. um, you know, things like that. Mm-hmm. The greatest threat, according to these futurists now, is a small group of individuals 
who have just an idea that they can't shake and they're willing to do anything for it. And it's what, what society is facing right now is the ability of people to a small group, not a country. We're not fighting Russia. We're not fighting the Cold War anymore. We're fighting a tiny group of people. This is, if you saw this article you're talking about, it, you know, it's a group of like a small business is what we're fighting, um, who are basically able to influence us. And the article that I read that really scared me is what we lose in all of this. The, the, the real thing that dies is truth. That's what disappears because we don't realize anymore. We can't trust what we see. So how do you, so, you can't, how do you solve for that? What do you do to prepare? I have been thinking of it all weekend. I've been literally thinking, you know, can Facebook take away news? Can you take away politics from it? Can you limit it to just people posting about their kids and dogs in the way that, you know, we know is fair. Mm. And the truth is, is I don't know how I, I, I personally think, um, that this is one of those things, the same way we regulate what the news is on TV, the same way we try to regulate at least um, certain things is Facebook can't be the Wild West. It has too much power. And when you have that much power to influence billions of people and the way that they think, um, you have a problem. Mm-hmm. You have a real problem. And I think that, you know, when you look at Mark Zuckerberg saying, you know what, this never happened, and then quickly realizing, oh, my gosh, this did happen and we need to take um, you know, con- we, we have to figure out how to, what the consequences are. Um, I don't know if anyone knows what to do, but we, I, I would say this to everyone listening, is when you see something on Facebook that's posted, it's so easy to click a like and say, man, I agree with that. But check it first. Escape Artist is the name of the book, Brad Meltzer. Glenn Thanks, Brad. Back. Mercury. Is the Glenn Beck program. I want to play the audio here from D.C. Council member Trayon White Sr. He is uh, he's uh, on the city council and it was snowing. He was driving in his car and uh, he decided to post a video driving and doing a video. But, but that's not what's <laughs> cons- all unite to ban texting. But yeah, God forbid. Right. Of course, you can obviously video and make live commentary as a council. Sure. Uh, here's what he said. Listen. Man, it just started snowing out of nowhere this morning, man. Y'all better pay attention to this climate control, man. This climate manipulation. And D.C. keep talking about we're a resilient city. And that's a model based off the Rothschilds controlling the climate to create natural disasters. They can pay for it and own the cities, man. Be careful. Mm-hmm. You should be careful of that. I mean, I would, it would say if that's occurring in your area. Which? Uh, the Jews? The uh, Jews controlling the weather? the weather? It's something to be careful uh, about. Yeah. That's just a public service announcement from this program. Right. Okay. I don't think that's true that well, the Jews if, are trying to control the weather to to take over our cities. But Well, he didn't say it was true. He just said you should need to watch out for it. Okay. You know? So he's apologized. He's <laughs> he apologized has. this morning. And I want you to listen carefully to this this apology. In response to my social media post on Friday, as a leader, I work hard every day to combat racism and prejudices of all kinds. Don't think he wrote this. No. Uh, it gets gets to a point with me, you might believe it. I want to apologize to the Jewish community and anyone that I have offended. The Jewish community have been allies with me in my journey to help people. I did not intend to be anti-Semitic. And I see I should not have said that after learning from my colleagues. He wrote that line. He wrote, <laughs> so, he wrote that line. So he didn't intend to be so, anti-Semitic. And he sees now that he should not have said that okay, so after learning from his colleagues. All right. So wait. 
So he's sorry he didn't mean to go after the Jews, but he he now realizes that he shouldn't have said that because somebody told him that's a bad idea to say that. Uh, yes, I, it does appear to All right. to be the the, the order of events. But does do you think that means hey that was stupid to say or that's just the dumbest thing I've ever heard? I mean, I maybe you could argue he didn't realize the Rothschilds uh, controlling the weather was an anti-Semitic conspiracy. Like maybe he just is just a crazy conspiracy theorist and is just but believing can, it, but not but, for the anti-Semitic he can, reasons. He can drive. He can drive, and yes. he has access to the internet. Right. Okay. Well, I mean, I wouldn't say this was a well-researched uh, post. I mean, he seemingly well, was doing it off the top of his head as he was to operating it again motor for vehicle. the science purposes here, for the scientific reasons. Listen to it again. Man, it just started snowing out of nowhere this There's morning, snowing man. Snowing out of nowhere. Y'all better pay attention to this climate control, man. This climate manipulation. And D.C. keep talking about we're a resilient city. And that's a model based off the Rothschilds controlling the climate. To create natural disasters, they can pay for it and own the cities, man. Be careful. I'm wondering. Mm. I'm wondering where he heard that. <laughs> I don't. I don't know. Maybe on the internet. Uh, maybe on the internet. Is it possible that he is somebody who follows Louis Farrakhan? I. I don't know. It's good. That'd be, be a good, good follow-up question. Be a good follow-up question. Where did you learn about the Rothschilds and their weather machine? Mm. And the interesting. You know, he says that it starts snowing out of nowhere uh, as if the snow goes from the state of there's no snow and then the snow begins which is also would describe every other snowstorm uh, that's ever occurred <laughs> it's always not snowing and then snowing that's how, just comes out of nowhere how, it's always no, it's actually coming out of the clouds, the clouds. Above that's you. how that works yeah <laughs> uh, yeah it's a strange yeah. observation and really you have a long time to prepare <laughs> like people in california don't have so long because the rest of the you're not seeing tape of the rest of the country getting that storm. No, you get it at the very end. <laughs> it's traveled all the way across the country. I will say too, this is only a visual. Uh, but for those of you who did not see the video of this, there's like four flakes falling yeah. from the sky. It is yeah. not snowing a no. lot. This is the worst climate control effort of all time. The Jews are losing their game. Uh, they have, they have, they apparently are not good at this anymore. They're not good at no. that. <laughs> uh, he goes on, by the way, to say, I have spoken uh, to leaders and my friends at Jews United for Justice, or Juvj, and they are helping me to understand the history of comments made against Jews, and I am committed to figuring out ways to continue to be allies with them and others. Mm. So there you go. That's well, I statement. think he's learned his lesson. Let me ask you this. Aaron Hernandez, they're now saying he was gay and that he killed this guy uh, in 2013 because he knew that Hernandez was gay. I've heard this rumor before. Aaron Hernandez, of course, uh, New England Patriots tight end, was uh, convicted of murder, uh, also acquitted of another double murder i believe it was i'm getting all of his murders con uh, con uh confused but he did have a he did wind up killing himself uh fairly recently um but they're now saying that it's 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 a it's a gay issue he, he was closeted and did not and was afraid he would he was angry about it he was angry about it hmm. okay is there any evidence to support this theory uh well his his defense team says uh uh, 
it was it was clear that this man was gay. Now, is it okay? I'm, I'm, so is it, when you have evidence like that, it was clear. Yeah. Okay. Now, would it make a difference in his sentencing? Is they do gay? Well, that's what I wanted to ask. To be, I thought we would. I, I would be nice. I couldn't get Kevin Spacey on the phone. But the last time I heard a defense like this <laughs> was from true. Kevin Spacey. Uh, you can't get me for me, too, because I'm gay. Yeah. That was essentially his answer. Yeah. Hey, I only did this because I, hey, I'm gay. <laughs> that was the and squirrel was, right. of essentially his statement. Yeah. Look at this instead of the first thing. And by right. the way, the media went along with that initially. Many of the initial stories was Kevin Spacey comes out as gay, which is exactly what he was trying to do. Instead of it being about him uh, potentially assaulting all of these people, allegedly, and him losing his giant job, uh, and really all of his jobs, not only uh, House of Cards, but also the uh, uh, richest man in the world, or what was the, that movie that uh, Christopher Plummer wound up taking his role from, and obviously he's just basically out of work now. You think this would work for Andrew McCabe? If he just came out today That's and went, smart. I'm gay. <laughs> he fired me because I'm gay. Yeah, I'm that gay. Is, that's a very smart approach. I don't know. It doesn't seem to ha- work. I feel like that worked better at one point. Poor Kevin. <laughs> yeah, do you think? He, he I don't think it should have. No. But maybe it did. It didn't work for Kevin Spacey. I don't know. Murder somebody. I'm gay. Mm, yeah, but you murdered somebody. Yeah. I don't think that's a trait of gayness. Here's an interesting set of standards we can all discuss today, which is maybe if you're black and if you're gay and if you're Jewish and if you're white, you should be treated the same. Maybe if you commit a crime, you should go to prison for the same amount of time. No, 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 no. Maybe if you're a, you know, a politically connected Democrat, you should still get fired if you break the rules. No. Maybe uh, the media shouldn't just immediately side with you because you're from a protected group of some sort. No. Okay. Here's the thing. Again, I go back to that Bloomberg article. By the way, uh, Jim Caviezel is going to be with us in studio here in about 20 minutes. Um, the algorithm that they are now designing, we're only beginning to understand, for example, how fa- facial recognition technology tends to misidentify minorities. Real problem if police are using it to search for suspects. The standard procedure is set uh, algorithms loose on people without checking for flaws and almost with little or no mechanism for appeal. So how do we get these machines to act fairly? Well, we have to define fair. Should a risk profiler, for example, treat all racial groups equally, regardless of their other differences? Now, I would say yes. Hmm. Now, if it's going to misidentify people because it's misreading features, then that's a problem. But... Uh, when it comes to, hey, who's the best shot at killing this person? I, I think as long as we're putting facts in, I don't really care what color they are. White, black, yellow, it doesn't matter to me. Should it acknowledge differences but focus on achieving similar error rates? Should it correct for previous wrongs? Mm. Oh, that oh, would be good. That's going to be a fun one. Yeah. Correcting for previous wrongs. That's a wonderful pathway. Do some definitions seem good in the short term, but have negative longer repercussions? The right balance seems to be somewhere in the middle. The latest paper finds that if members of a disadvantaged group are given loans at rates higher than in the maximum profit scenario, but lower than the forced equality scenario, they broadly improve their credit scores. This comes at short-term cost to the lender, 
but is likely beneficial in the longer term as society as a whole becomes better off. Yeah, one of the things they found was that uh, um, some groups gave a lot of loans to underprivileged minority groups or whatever to try to to be fair. And that fairness led them to getting loans they should not have had, which also led them to defaulting on loans that they should not have had, which wound up hurting them in the long term because they went bankrupt or ruined their credit because they had loans they shouldn't have had. Yes, but that happening to a few people, that's okay. We can have the algorithm spit out. The algorithm will mean nothing. Mean nothing. If an algorithm spits out something that is politically correct, instead of this is what's most likely to happen, then it's of no use. It's of no use. It's 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 just a social just just a social justice tool. Oh my, I never thought of it that way. Criminal risk scores can turn people into criminals. And Facebook's news feed, sure, they keep people engaged, but they also promote outrage and even catalyze violence. What? No, look, here's the thing. Okay, I think we all really, I mean, I hate to, you know, ask everybody to put that on their big pants here for a second, but Facebook isn't doing any of this. We are. We are. Okay. Facebook is playing off us, but you're smart enough to figure this out, that there's an algorithm that gives you what you want and what you like. See the button that says like? That means if you're a capitalist, I'm going to give you more of what you like, less of what you don't like. That's capitalism. That's the way this is working. Now, if we were all like, you know, well, I was to say normal human beings, but I don't think normal human beings are what I thought normal human beings were. If we were, if we were at all responsible, we would do our own homework and not just look at the headline and read the first paragraph and then repost it because it it reconfirmed our worldview. Yeah, it's it's interesting. A lot of uh, conservatives I've heard with, you know that are critical of Facebook and and other social media accounts uh, or uh, suppliers. Uh, platforms for this saying like you know hey they need to fix their things so that x y and z doesn't happen but it's really the same argument that the left brings up on hardy's right like hardy's is providing a two-thirds of a pound thick burger that's 1200 calories you don't have to buy it uh it's exactly the same thing as talk radio we we've got to balance talk radio we have to fix talk radio we have to make sure that we treat people like morons no no just let the monkey tails fall off all of the morons that's what we need to do simply save home security is prepared for anything that gets thrown at it. A storm takes out your power. They're ready. An intruder cuts your phone line. They're ready. Somebody comes in and destroys your keypad or your siren. They still call for help. Maybe it's overkill, but Simply Safe doesn't think so. I mean, in the worst case scenario, you'd be hoping that they planned for the worst case scenario, and they have. 
This is what makes Simply Safe home security so great. It's always ready and it doesn't cost an arm and a leg. Instead, they only charge you what's fair. 24-7 professional security monitoring is only $14.99 a month. There are no contracts. There are no hidden fees. Simply Safe. Simply Safe. Check it out now. See how much money you're going to save with simplysafebeck.com. Keep yourself and your family protected and safe with simplysafebeck.com. Glenn Beck Mercury. Glenn Beck. A friend of mine, Jim Caviezel, is in with us in just a few seconds. He's in the green room now getting uh, getting ready to come on in. He'll be joining us at the top of the hour. Jim Caviezel, of course, played Jesus in uh, The Passion of the Christ. And I, I don't think he has... Have you seen him deliver a piece of, of acting that was just, eh? I mean, he's, oh, he's um, always good in everything. He is always yeah. great in everything. He is he's just, I think, one of the best actors of our day. Um, but because he played Jesus, he's paid a heavy price for it. Um, so he's decided to branch out a little at this time. Uh, he's now playing Luke, <laughs> the Apostle of Christ. Uh, this movie is coming out. Paul, the Apostle of uh, Christ, and Jim Caviezel plays Luke. Uh, risking his life to visit Paul, um, who's held captive in, in the Roman prison. Uh, and he'll be talking about that and, and also his life. And he's a fascinating guy, really fascinating guy. We went to school uh, together. Uh, and um, uh, he's just such a he's just such a good, decent man. He's everything. You know, he's one of those people that you meet and you're like, I wonder what he's like exactly the way you think he is. Just really quiet and gentle and peaceful and kind and he's a really nice guy. So we'll catch up with him uh, here in just a few minutes. You know, Passion of the Christ only made six hundred eleven million dollars uh, worldwide yeah, in two thousand four. But that's it. That's it. Was it's just two thousand four. Yes, two thousand four. Now that should not be confused with the movie Passion, released in two thousand thirteen. Starring Rachel McAdams, directed by Brian De Palma, <laughs> that made $92,181. Ah, okay. Um, a little bit, right. I guess, of the Christ was important. <laughs> I guess, it, uh, yes, it, know, it was. It was an important part it of that. It may not have been a church film. <laughs> may not have been a church not. film. Yeah, maybe not. Yeah. <laughs> but this was, I mean, you know, this is Mel Gibson. This is the first really big film uh, since, uh, you know, probably Cecil B. DeMille in that genre that was really done right. And look how far this the faith films have come now. The third highest grossing film this weekend is a faith film. Mm. Uh, I can only imagine. And it's really, really good. So Jim Caviezel joins us here in just a few minutes. Glenn Beck, Mercury. Love, courage, truth. Glenn Beck. Well, it won't surprise you to hear that Vladimir Putin has been re-elect president. You know, he only barred the opponent who posed a threat from running in the election. It also shouldn't surprise you that Putin won by a nearly impossible margin. I think he won by 77%. 
ballot stuffing and forced voting on election day stand as, uh, you know, almost like a cartoon of the old KGB in Russia. Under mysterious circumstances, Russian critics of Putin have been poisoned and kidnapped and murdered or tortured. Hey, this one's missing. We just saw last week in the UK when Russian ex-spy and his daughter were poisoned by a Soviet-era nerve agent. Putin's re-election represents the latest in a history of corruption that can only metastasize and darken in Russia. Putin doesn't wince as he violates freedoms and democracy. He takes, he takes, and he forces. The rules don't apply to Vladimir Putin. I don't think I need to tell you that he's dangerous. Some people don't think he is. This is a man without honor, whose word is worthless as his his reign. But unfortunately, his reign is endless. And a man like this cannot be trusted. His bloodthirst continues. He's going to be around now until 2024. And then he'll, quote, be forced to step down. Although... There's plenty of time to change the term limit rules. Uh, I don't know if you caught this, but that's exactly what they did in China. It's Monday, March 19th. You're listening to the Glenn Beck Program. Jim Caviezel is in studio with us. A good man and, uh, and a friend. We grew up kind of together. I mean, we went to the same uh elementary school and you were what two years behind me jim i was i was in third grade when you were in eighth grade oh okay but i saw you first second and third grade (laughs) (laughs) and you remember it i I remember you in the wide-legged corduroy (laughs) pants yep that was me robert was it robert robert conine uh rosecrans oh yeah um, peter janicky yeah oh my gosh we're and so we rode the bus, uh, school bus together. I remember you. I remember you jumping up and down uh, up on uh, Peter Janicki's shoulders. I remember uh, um, Sister Agnes Joseph coming to our class and said she just saw you debate the entire class. Michael Rosencrantz told me that 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 boy is a genius. And she was yeah, saying, well, about none, you. Of the, none of those stories are and true. Janicki was pretty pretty yeah. genius too. Yeah, none of those stories but are I true. Just, but uh, uh, so how are you? I'm good. Yeah. Now you're in a uh, new film uh, called uh, Paul, Apostle of Christ. I haven't seen it yet. Yeah. It comes out. When does it come out? Um, March 23rd. Okay. You, last time I saw you, you had, uh, you were still reeling from, you know, uh, the temptation, not temptation of Christ, but uh, the, uh, passion, of Christ. the passion of Christ. <laughs> Uh, and you were you were still reeling from that, and you, I think you are one of the bravest men I think I've ever met. One of the most loyal men to God that I have ever met, uh, and uh, and I think um, wrongfully persecuted for what you've what you've done, the standards that you have taken. You've been very careful and very true. When you when you were in school, when we were there together, uh, you made a promise to God. You, can you talk about that? I was given a gift, and I um, I think it's very difficult for um, God to give certain people gifts because once they get the opportunity, it starts out being you know here God I'll give you all that, and it becomes a uh, 
you know, nine for you, one for me, and then eventually becomes nine for me, one for you. Yeah. So um, I just said that I would make the kind of films that would, uh, um, you know, affect people's lives. Like, you know, it's a wonderful life. When I met Jimmy Stewart, I was a waiter for him. And uh, I uh, was went and got him a drink, and I was working at a party, and they told me I couldn't, you know, speak to any of the celebrities. And I saw that guy, and I thought, well, I could, you know, get fired for talking to him. So at the time, I had applied to the U.S. Naval Academy. I applied three different times and didn't get in. Mm-hmm. I had a shot at West Point, and I told him, you know, I know that you've flew the Liberators over Germany, and he was just shocked that I knew. Right here I am, you know, mm-hmm. 19 years old, 20 years old, and I knew so much about him. And um, I, I think that um, Ed Clooney told me one time, uh, George said that when they were at Rose, uh, he was with Rosemary, his aunt, and they were at Stewart's house, and the, on the TV was his Academy Award, and Stewart said, you know, I wish I had done more. And, and here's a guy that, made arguably one of the greatest films ever made. I watch it every year. It's a yeah. wonderful life. Yeah. And I, I wanted to have that kind of effect on uh, people, but it was always God through me that would make these films great. Is it true that you said, uh, I want to play you? No, I said, I don't want them to see me. I want them only to see you. And that became the difference. And to do that was on the cross, yes, I felt... Um, the love that he had for me. But when I asked him to come closer like that, he said, you may not like what you're going to get. And I said, as long as they see you, that's all that matters. And what I felt was a broken heart because our Lord's not loved by most of his children. And, you know, I tell people, I know God loves you. And and if you don't know that, then, you know, kind of live the life that um, that makes people feel that, but those that say that, that that have accepted that, you know, you know, just get up in the, in the morning and tell uh, Jesus that you love Him. He needs to hear that too. You are you would have gotten along with Hollywood a long time ago with the Jimmy Stewarts of the world. Ma'am? I think they were more like you, right? Um, now, not so much. Not so much. Um, and yet you are, you are consistently amazing in every role I have ever seen you in. You are just you know, tremendous. Glenn, I've said this before, um, the, 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 the Hollywood at best, you know, if that really is the world at best, it, it can only like you because the love, it, it does not come from man. It comes from God. So at best, Hollywood can like you, and I can prove it to you. When you go to the Academy Awards, mm. former winners are on the sideline. People are making over. It's over the the current winner, and and you look some of the films and the substance that's coming out of them, and, you, and they're making all over that. People will give up everything for a red carpet. But the question you have to ask yourself is, do you want to be liked by many or loved by one? I have a friend... Uh John Irwin from the Irwin brothers, and they just made a film. Um, uh, what's the name of it? Uh, yeah, I can only imagine. Came out this weekend. Supposed to make $2 million. It's a faith film. It's really good. Um, it has Dennis Quaid in it. It's supposed to make $2, $2 million. It made $17 million. It's, 
it's only in sixteen hundred theaters. It was number three. Wow, this weekend. Yeah, that means the per square uh, per per screen average was more than the the two films yeah. prior to, uh, that are ahead of them. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's over ten thousand dollars a screen. Yeah. That's extraordinary. Yeah. Um, and you're not reading about it anywhere, but no, you uh, won't. Yeah, but it, since you were in Passion, things have changed. You don't need Hollywood as much as as you did. The system, um, you know the 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 truth is out there, um, and it's not going to go away. And uh, you know the Ir- the uh, the, the Irwin guy, brothers. Yeah, he yeah. came up one of the I don't know which one, but anyway, John. He huh. did the Steve McQueen documentary you see that american yeah. icon yeah yeah he handed it to me when i walked out and i went home and i watched it and here I mean, we can arguably say that, that steve mcqueen was one of the greats um a physical actor uh a guy who uh was absolutely the king of cool um, but what was cool about him he was hot about something he was an orphan kid essentially and i watched this documentary it just moved me to tears and that uh, even at the end he was searching for something greater and he said there was a recording of him that his wife gave out and he said that he'd wished he had touched more people's lives uh, from uh, Jesus and Billy Graham was there at the end of his life and he uh, he was looking for his Bible as he was dying and uh, Billy Graham gave him his Bible who he was a great that just passed away and, and yeah. without Billy Graham we would not have you know had the the reaction from America, we needed his support and he gave it to us on the passion of the Christ. What do you think about the, the division, uh, between uh, our faith sometimes, you know, between, you know, the Baptists and the Catholics and the Mormons and the Protestants and everything else. What do you, how do we, how do we solve that and come together on bigger issues? (laughs) Well, it's certainly not going to be beating you over the head. I mean, if God wanted to, he certainly could beat us over the head. Yeah. Isn't he, though? What? Beating us over the head. I think he is starting to beat us over the head. Well, it, can, it eventually can come to that. But right now, the I mean, there is a wrath or a justice that's mm. coming if we don't uh, essentially. Um, look, I, I really feel that the, the ideal way would be love that he we, we would just naturally turn to him and and that, I got that at a young age, um, but uh, the uh, we have an opportunity right now to decide where we want to go. As far as you know, our all feeling, I do believe there is one truth, and we'll know that mm. one day in heaven. If there were many uh, truths, there would not be a truth, and there would be much divisions in heaven. What? There is probably the the right way, but um, I look at Jesus and he did not beat people over the head with, you know, either uh, turn or burn. Now that is out there, Mm -hmm. but it's um, what I find is that you have the truth. Years ago, that would all, it would be given to us just, just truth. And then essentially that would become fire and brimstone. And now it's Mike, all grace you know, all love and forgiveness and everything, but then that becomes sentimental hogwash. Our Lord is both truth and grace. Are you happy? Yes. <laughs> when, I, when I came in here, I was a little frustrated. <laughs> but generally, yes. 
because I know that I'm, you know, I I have a future forever with Jesus, you know, in heaven. And I, t- I tell people that, you know, I do believe and I do believe it's worth dying for. And I know I'm going to die someday. Um, and I, I tell people that because... You know, I tell people, yes, our Lord loves you, but I, I don't always feel that. It's, it, it is hard, but it, you know, come hell or high water, you do the right thing, no matter what. You just try to keep yeah, doing it. I want to, I want to talk to you a little bit about that because I, because <laughs> yeah, doing the hard thing or doing the right thing is really hard. And you're a guy who has actually walked that walk. You've really walked that walk. Hey, you know, you know, Marcus Latrell. That was yeah. the last event we were at. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Marcus uh, reached out to me because I put in a, a movie, The Count of Monte Cristo, God Will Give Me Justice, and yeah. he wrote that on the cave wall. Yeah. And then uh, he, we became close, and he, uh, I was, the last time I was with him, I was with him and Chris Kyle, oh. and I never saw him again, obviously, that yeah. night. We went on a great night, and, we, and they wanted to just talk about that, but how many soldiers that come up to me in the airports, uh, and, you know, Special Forces guys just ask me about Jesus. That I said, do you really believe in that? I mean, this. You, I heard you suffer. I heard you, you know, were struck by lightning and had open heart surgery. That they that, that you went through horrible pains. Do you really believe in that stuff? And why are they asking me that? And then eventually they talk about you know I've had to take somebody's life uh, yeah. by my own hand. Yeah. And what that's like, and is there a place in heaven for me? You know, almost like daring God. It reminds me of Gary Sinise in Forrest Gump when he's up at the top of that tower. Says, yeah. "All right, God, it's you and me." Yeah. And I just love to. I yeah. I identify with them. Yeah. That that uh, there are people out there that will will suffer whatever it takes because they feel a brotherhood, and I feel that brotherhood with our Lord, and I want to let them know that they're loved. Back with Jim Caviezel here in just a second. He's got a new movie out uh, called uh, Paul, Apostle of Christ. It is in theaters Friday, the 23rd. That's this Friday. You can find out more about it at paulmovie.com. Twitter handle at paulmovie. Jim Caviezel, when we return. Have you ever wanted to refinance your mortgage, but you didn't want to start a 30-year loan again? Well, American Financing can help with refinancing. You can eliminate uh, the mortgage insurance, lower your rate, consolidate your high-interest debt, and you don't have to worry about you know resetting your loan. You don't have to do it for 30 years. They offer 9-, 13-, 18-year loans. Really, pretty much any term that you need, it's a custom loan. You choose the term based on your budget, and they're going to find the most competitive interest rate. It's your mortgage, your way. Plus, with a fixed rate, no matter where the interest rates go, yours stays the same. Monthly payments don't increase, just takes one phone call to the salary-based mortgage consultants, and they're going to guide you through everything. Call them now at 800-906-2440. That is 1-800-906-2440 or AmericanFinancing.net. American Financing Corporation, NMLS 182334, www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org. Glenn Beck Mercury. Glenn Beck. Jim Caviezel. Uh, you might know him from many 
many movies that he has been in. Most famously, obviously, he played Jesus in Passion of the Christ, but also Person of Interest, uh, the uh, People's Choice uh, Award, and uh, and now in a new movie uh, called Paul, Apostle of Christ. And you play Luke. I do. Tell me about it. Well, it's the 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 film is right at the end of Paul's life, like the last two weeks, and he's in the Mamertine prison in Rome. And this is during the one of the biggest terror reigns of Christians, which was during Nero. And I basically uh, get into the prison and, um, and try to bring his message of hope to the Christian communities that are barely alive in that area. And of course, they're crucifying and burning them, um, using them as light fixtures uh, all over Rome. And um, I'm trying to give his message of hope, and he really doesn't have the message that they're looking for. They don't know what to do. And so really the film, uh, and when I read it, I said, wow, this is now. Uh, this is just, we're all playing characters in Scripture right now. You know, often people, when they look at the Bible, they say, oh, it's a piece of history. It's not the same as if, you know, if you were to go back, you know, we were just talking about Berlin, you know, mm-hmm. or, or Germany. And that's a history, you try mm-hmm. to learn from history, but this is something quite uh, extraordinary when you read scripture because it it, perme- it goes permeates your brain into your heart and uh, bypasses it and goes into that. And it's really, and we're all playing a different character, you know. Mm-hmm. I got to play Jesus in the Passion, but some of us, you know, get to play Judas and some play are the Pharisees and some are Herod. And that's playing out right now. The Pharisees, I mean, the real problem there was the hypocrisy. And there's where a lot of us are Pharisees right now. Yes. And there are Judases out there too. Youthful. You've, um, you've taken quite a hit your whole career. What gets you through? What do you, I mean, your low points, you know, you've had, you, you are a great actor. And, because of what you believe they you're not uh you're not asked to be in all of the all of the great films Mm -hmm. how do you get through that i get through it because i was in the greatest film there ever was (laughs) you know look the i uh i almost never uh became an actor i almost never did the passion of the christ i almost never married my wife carrie I almost never adopted my three children. Um, both, all three of them uh, had two had tumors. One had the cancer, sarcoma, and uh, I thought, well, I'm not the kind of guy that can adopt. You know, I'm just not. I'm too selfish. That would have been the worst mistake of my life if I had almost not done those things. The path of Christ is hard. It is the road less traveled yeah. uh, it is but it is one that is beyond i ever anything i've ever experienced and um i know it's the way for me i know yeah sure i've pouted and played the victim but i realize <laughs> that yeah it's not really going to get it done um victim is not a strong strong position Jim Caviezel. The name of the movie is Paul, Apostle of Christ. It is in theaters this Friday. Don't miss it. Glenn Beck, Mercury.
This is the Glenn Beck Program. Welcome to the program. We're glad you're here. Jim Caviezel is here. Pat Gray has just uh, joined us from the uh, Pat Gray Radio Roundup or whatever it is. Uh, <laughs> That's exactly what it is. Whatever it's, it's called. Radio it's, uh, it happens after this program. Pat, Jim Caviezel, <laughs> Jim, Pat. Jim. We've met actually before. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I know. But, but I just but I wanted to make sure that yeah. <laughs> I was being a gracious host here. Yeah, that's nice. Yeah. yeah. That's nice. Good to see you again, though. Good to see you, too. Pat. So have you been, uh, uh, Jim, have you been down to uh, Waco? Have you seen, uh, you know Chip and Joanna Gaines? No, I don't. Do you, uh, do you know of them? No, I don't. Oh, you got it. Oh, man. Me. Oh, they're great. Do you watch TV at all or you've? I watch I watch a little bit, you know, here yeah. and there. I'm obviously, I'm just doing a lot of the. You know, I know you're the making it. And, I, yeah, I know, <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know. Um, but uh, I was down at Waco. I w- went down to the this weekend silos. That that place is it's amazing. Has totally transformed. I mean, these are these people are they're so good, uh, and uh, and people are flocking from all over the country, and they've completely. Uh, repositioned Waco, Texas, because yeah. Waco was what? It was Branch Wacky. Davidian. It was yeah. Wacko Waco. And now they've trans- transformed it into this desirable place to go to yeah. see and this And it's business. really, it's it's amazing because here they are, These they're, they're people really pretty much like you uh, mm-hmm. that just kind of live their principles and, and, you know, they're not ashamed of their faith and they do this little show on, you know, HGTV and it's it's turned into this monster uh, and I don't think people in the I don't think people in New York or Los Angeles really even understand it. Uh, you know, they think, well, it's a husband and wife. No, it, no, it's their principles and their values that really set them apart. And they've just mm-hmm. there was probably 100,000 people down there. I bet. I mean, it was crazy. It's, it's always just jam packed. Yeah. And they're not even there. Yeah. It's just it's crazy what they've done. Yeah, But everybody there is hoping for a glimpse. You know, maybe this is the day they'll be running out and no, I, don't I don't know, <laughs> straightening the shelves. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Straightening things up. Uh, so so Jim is here because um, he's uh, in a new movie, Paul, Apostle of Christ. And, you know, Jim, I was um, uh, I, I love I love the story of Paul. Um, but the thing that sticks in my mind in Paul's life. Um, well, there's many things, uh, but but when he's on the wrong side, you know, at the uh, at the death of James, he's he's mentioned just hold, give me your coat, you go get, kill him. Oh, Stephen or Stephen, yeah, thank you. Um, he's 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 standing there and he's listening to Stephen and he's help riling up the crowd. And he doesn't do any of the beating himself, beating him to death. He mm-hmm. just says, "Give me your, give me your, give me your, give me your cloak. I'll hold it for you." Yeah, essentially, <laughs> handing probably taking their cloaks and handing them stones and have at him. Yeah, and just, just I mean, it's real evil manipulation. I mean, yeah. where he was the guy kind of behind the crowd. Yeah, but I think that when Stephen called out, you know, I see this son of man repeating the words of of Jesus I see the son of man sitting at the right hand of the father coming in the clouds of heaven that reflection in his eyes he probably saw our lord right there and probably was the beginning of the end of Saul how difficult would it be for you if you knew that Saul was coming your way and uh and uh, you were told uh you know Jim I need you to go give him a blessing real quick how difficult would that be for you? I think that would have been terrifying. Well, of course, but you know, I I look at the uh, what just 
the some of the videos and pictures that I saw from what ISIS did to Christians last year um, during um, Good Friday, where they literally executed them by crucifixion. And I, I think the modern-day Christians really have to understand that, you know, we're all going to die someday. And, um, you know, being in heaven, I want to, I'd rather be known as someone who did something for Jesus than spending eternity without doing much uh, for him. Do you spend any time in the Middle East recently? I, yes. I did shoot a movie out there, The Stoning of Sariah M., and um, that really exposed uh, Sharia law. And uh, um, and it's it just extraordinary what, what um, happens to women uh, there. Yeah. And I played a guy named Freyadim Saramjam, who was a uh, guy who was just out there to write a story uh, about the Hayatollah takeover of the Shah, and there was a peaceful movement and whatnot, and and uh, out of this comes this uh, woman's story of um, being uh, stoned to death, and that the stonings still take place. Um, so it was a, a I, I don't feel we had a lot of help from many of the groups here, um, you know, many of the women groups that weren't there to to help their... I will tell you that it's it's been encouraging to us. We've yeah. raised probably $30 million now yeah. uh, to get some of these Christians out. We've, we've taken 7,000 out of the Middle East. Uh, we're rescuing uh, That's great. slaves, and, yeah. and, and it's remarkable yeah. that there is a... There, while it's not talked about, there is this, this I don't know, underground, would you call it, Pat? This kind of mm-hmm. this, something that's not on the surface and nobody's talking about, but there is real concern for that and and real, the people really helping. Good. A lot of people are helping, but they're doing it in, a, in, a, in the, uh, in quiet ways or yeah. working in a, like you say, the yeah. underground. Yeah, the um, the Christians are uh, unlike anything I've ever met. Chaldeans, Christians. Syrians, extraordinary. They're, I mean, yeah. they're just they're they are they are not like anything I've ever met. They're committed. Yeah, you know they yeah. have to be, and and they are. They, you know what? I, I read a, a quote this weekend. I'd written down a long time ago, and I've forgotten all about it. They tend church, not attend church. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. they're tending every day. They're, they are there. They know what it is. It's not just a place they go to every Sunday. Yeah. And they take it seriously because it doesn't come easy for them like it does us. You know, when you have to fight for something and, and put your life on the line for something, I think that changes you inside a little bit. It makes you more, makes you more committed. And yeah, they, well, they definitely saying, are. Yeah. And we get so fat and lazy over here on everything mm-hmm. that we don't know. Yeah. We, it has no value. Has no value. It's a great line in the film where Paul says to live as Christ, to die as gain. You know, I'm sure many of those Chaldean, Syrian Christians and Coptics um, believe in the same way. You know? Yeah. Is it true on another topic that that um, there's a Passion of the Christ sequel coming? Yes. And you are signed on for that? Yes. Yeah. Wow. As Jesus? Yes. Wow. Well, he'd have to be, right? Yeah. Well, I don't know. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, it's the next day. Now I've turned it's into been... John, so no. <laughs> surprise! I mean, you don't you don't really look that 
different. You work out and all that crap all the time. Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. You That's know, overrated. For, fortunately, well, I have to because it, there's so much of the work that you do is involves stunt. So if you mm. don't uh, keep that up, you're especially on that. I mean, on that one, you yeah. were. I mean, that one was pretty. Uh, you know, I was, was pretty serious. Yeah, struck by lightning. Yeah, last shot of the movie, very last shot. Mm. What, what 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 went through your? I mean, besides juice, what went through your head <laughs> on that? <laughs> I I was I was scared, you know. I, I'm just, but it wasn't my time, you know. It was, it. I had physical problems, you know, with electrical uh, heart and everything like that after that, and I was on a lot of medication. So in 2009, I had my first heart surgery, and then 2014, wow, was my was open heart uh, at Cleveland Clinic, and they saved my life. And it was because of that. It was yes. because of the. I mean, it was it was a combination of mm. the, the uh, uh, lightning bolt, um, and then uh, then the the hypothermia, and then the the um, um, the pneumonia. Mm. Have you thought about suing Mel? I mean, just <laughs> taking it for everything that he's worth. He's worth a few bucks now. You might want to yeah. think about that. He's a really nice guy. I, yeah. I, he is. He is. He, you know, I don't know him at all, but. Uh, in meeting him, he's he's really quite brilliant. Yeah, oh yeah, he's a he's a freak show. Yeah, I mean, you know, going like at a, about a like thousand a Michael Jordan. Miles an hour. Yeah. He'd be the Michael Jordan of in yeah. my business of what he can do. You know, he has the he. It, it's extraordinary with him because you know, I mean, you see him in Hamlet. He can do Hamlet. He yeah. can do his range. Yeah, his humor. Yeah. Um, but uh, just. You know, even looking at Lethal Weapon, and when uh, Steve McAvity, who produced The Passion, produced uh, Lethal Weapon with Mel, and you know, at the opening of the movie, he takes a uh, gun and he's going to put it in his mouth, and and he uses a bullet, and you know, and uh, he's going to commit suicide, and just how he layers, uh, takes the, mm-hmm. uh, uh, if you have an onion, he just peels it away, and later on, he's up on top of the building, this guy's going to commit suicide, and he's He's smoking a cigarette up on the building. He's like, come on, man. It's not good to commit suicide. It's really bad for your health, you know? And and you're laughing your head off because, you know, this guy just tried to take his. But how he just sets it up and he gets you focused over here. He's smoking mm-hmm. a cigarette. Here, you want to drag? And mm-hmm. and he, and then he throws up another ball up in the air. And then while you're looking over here, he slide a hand. He puts the cuffs on the guy's wrist. And mm-hmm. and, and then um, he's like, oh, you jerk. I'm going to jump. He goes, do you really want to do it? Do it. You know, I want to do it. And so you go, no, <laughs> right. the movie's right. over. Yeah. Jumps off. And then, of course, they don't show it. But then he they jump on that big old bag. You're this yeah. guy's nuts. You hear that? <laughs> Mel goes, oh, that's fun. Let's do it again. <laughs> but that that that's just... I mean that's flat out straight up Gibson. Is when when do you go into production with this? Um I heard when I was speaking to him last time he says I'd like to be going and he gave me a certain date by the that particular you're, time. You're not going to give it to us. Well, I, that's I, that's fine. I'm yeah. not looking for a scoop. But uh no, he's he he just said he would like to be going at this particular time but see this is the 1 2 3 he's on the fourth draft of the script. Is it an Aramaic? So I, I started talking to him about this five years ago. And nothing was mentioned. Then last year, uh, both Randall Wallace, who wrote, has been yeah. writing the script, they yeah. wrote Braveheart together. Yeah, yeah. 
And just to show you how hard it is, that blueprint is everything. And then um, now he's on the fourth draft of this thing. So he finally broke it. That's why I never said anything about it, but he finally figured it out. It's kind of like Mm. Thomas Edison gets to the end. and You go through the alphabet. So by way of analogy, (laughs) he starts at A, it gets to Z, and then he goes, oh, my gosh, I figured it out. But now he has to go back to A and yeah. start all over again. Yeah. But he's figured, finally figured yeah. it out. Jim, it's good to see you. Thank you so much. Uh, the movie opens up uh, this Friday. It is Paul, Apostle of uh, Christ, starring Jim Caviezel. You don't want to miss it. It is opening in theaters everywhere. It is paulmovie.com. All right, another uh, another twist on identity tax fraud. Thieves are hacking online accounts at tax preparation firms. Isn't that good? They can file phony refunds from, you know, the tax preparation firm. Except it's not really from there. Once the IRS deposits money into the hacked client's bank accounts, the crooks contact them, posing as collection agencies, claiming the refund was an error in demanding payment. Unfortunately, people are falling for it. There are so many threats in today's connected world that you really need. All it takes is one small breach and it's over. So the new LifeLock is here. Now, the new LifeLock Identity Theft Protection adds power of Norton security to help you protect against threats to your identity and to your vices. And um, these are things that you're not easily going to be able to see or fix, but they can. If you have a problem, they have agents who work to fix it. Now, nobody can stop all cyber threats, prevent all identity theft, or monitor all transactions at all businesses, but LifeLock now with Norton Security is able to uncover threats that you might otherwise miss. So go to LifeLock.com or call 1-800-LIFELOCK. 1-800-LIFELOCK. Use the promo code BACK for an additional 10% off your first year. It's promo code BACK at LifeLock.com. Glenn Beck Mercury. Glenn Beck. Welcome to the uh, program. Um, let's play a little. Um, uh, let's play a bit of Ben Shapiro on how the media has covered the gun debate. Where do you see the most egregious media bias right now? Well, over the last three weeks, obviously, the coverage of the gun debate uh, has been absolutely egregious. I mean, I don't want to single out your network, but CNN's been pretty bad on this from a conservative perspective. Uh, the, the idea that when there's a, a mass shooting, that the media feel the necessity to put on TV uh, not only survivors, but specific survivors, that there's a certain subset of survivors who make it on TV a lot, a lot, uh, and there are certain other survivors who don't, uh, and that they decide to single out certain events and not other events in order to make a particular case, or they allow certain people to go on TV and suggest that folks like Dana Lash or people at the NRA are evil, don't care. They're terrorists and there's no pushback from the anchors. You know, this sort of thing makes a lot of people on the right feel that the media are, are really using this as an opportunity to push gun control rather than objectively covering you know, the, the, the legislative efforts that are going on in Washington, D.C. So your view is it should be 50-50, even if most of the students are urging gun control measures, you want it to be 50-50? Or, or no, I, th- I think I think 80-20 would be fine. I, mean, I think that anything but 95-5 would probably be a good thing. Uh, and I think that it's also pretty obvious that, listen, Everybody, this is my opinion about journalism, everybody in journalism has their own political mm-hmm. views. We all vote, obviously, uh, or at least most of us do. Uh, and it's, it's not 
a pleasant thing when people in the media pretend their political views are not influencing their coverage okay. when it's so obvious that those political views clearly are influencing their coverage. That is uh, Ben Shapiro. <clears throat> and I love <laughs> I love Ryan's. What, you think it should be 50-50? Well, isn't that what you wanted for talk radio? Seriously, wasn't wasn't that? And that was the legal requirement. That was the legal requirement Mm. that everybody thought we should bring back the fairness doctrine. And I don't want the fairness doctrine. But to look at Ben Shapiro, who was not asking for the fairness doctrine to like, is that that's a crazy that's a crazy. No, that's that's what you wanted to do to talk radio. I'm sorry, you don't like it for yourself. And Ben is right. All we want is just. If you got an opinion, say that's who you are, and here's an opinion. We we balance it this way. I don't have a problem with MSNBC. <laughs> they don't hide. Glenn Beck, Mercury.